Have you ever wondered how some franchisees are just able to grow and grow and get more units and more property and you just don't get it? Well, guess what? They're leveraging the assets they have. One way is through a sale leaseback. So I decided to talk to the experts. Join me in this edition of Franchise You when I talk with Morgan Merrill and Sarah Shanks, first vice presidents at SRS Real Estate Partners, who talk to us about all those important elements on how you can finance your growth. Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. Welcome to another episode of Franchise You. With me today, I have two very special guests, I have Morgan Merrill and Sarah Shanks. And welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here with me. Thank, Thank you, you for having us, Kathy. Oh, so glad. And we've known each other for quite a while. But first of all, let's talk about what you do now. You are both first vice presidents leading the SRS Real Estate Partners Office in Louisville, Kentucky. And let's talk about the similarities with the two of you because it's just so fun. You both have CPAs. You both are real estate brokers. You both worked together at KFC with me years ago before this opportunity to move to the partner side of franchising. And another thing that was interesting to me is that you both attended one of my alma maters. Morgan, you graduated from U of L, go cards. And Sarah, I also went to Indiana University undergrad. So yes, yes, go Big Red. So that was very exciting. But your careers are fascinating, and I've had the chance to watch them through LinkedIn, but I thought maybe you could tell us a bit more about them. So Morgan, tell us about maybe some of your career highlights to where you are today. Sure, of course, I'd be happy to. And thank you again for having both Sarah and myself on today. We really appreciate the opportunity. Um, So yes, I started my career. I'll give University of Louisville all the credit. I got my first job through the Almer Center at UofL. Um, applied for an internship with a big four accounting firm, started my career there, was there about five years, and then decided, like most people in big four accounting firms, to um, move on and join the Yum family. I was with Yum for about five years in a variety of roles, started my career in accounting there and and control, and then moved to KFC, where I worked more directly with you, Kathy, on the KFC finance team, and finished my career there at KFC doing franchise recruiting and franchise M&A with Sarah, which Sarah will talk to that. And then we've been with SRS now as business partners for five years this summer. Oh my gosh, it's been that long. Thank Mm -hmm. you. And Sarah, what about you? Well, it's very, it's very similar to your point. Um, I, you know, all credit to IU, <laughs> just to echo her, right? Um, got my first job at Deloitte, but I was on the tax side. So then when I came to Yum, I was in the tax department and then international tax, uh, they gave me that opportunity. And then I found my way down to KFC also, which is where I met you and, and got to work directly with Morgan. We were both approving franchise M&A transfers. So selling operations to an, another operator, usually larger and yep. But saw an opportunity and and came to SRS. It's pretty amazing to me that both of you, and I know when you left, you both left quite a hole at our beloved KFC, but how did you both end up leading SRS? That's just so fascinating. Sure. So as Sarah mentioned, you know, we did M&A work. So we worked directly with franchisees on a daily basis in our roles. <laughs> and we were in those roles for about two years. In doing that, we came to really know and love our franchisees. Um, You know, we always said the reason that we make money at KFC Corporation is because our franchisees are out there working their butts off every day, you know, to grow the business and keep our customers happy. 
So in doing that, um, franchisees began to know and trust Sarah and I quite a bit and asked us for our opinion and our you know, expertise expertise on whether, you know, what the value of the restaurants were worth, um, what the value of the real estate was worth. And when we were inside of KFC and Yum, we weren't allowed to do that um, from an arm's length transaction perspective. Right. So we saw natural, a natural opportunity to, you know, leverage those relationships we've built and those, you know, franchisees, now clients that know us and trust us and also to go out and bet on ourselves and to go into business together as 50-50 partners and all we do um, and haven't looked back since then. <laughs> uh, that is so great. You know, when you think about the experience you had with the KFC franchisees who were fantastic, that Thank has you. probably really helped you in your current role. Are there some specifics there that you think have made that transition to a franchise partner after working with franchisees? Are there some yes. elements there that made a difference? A hundred percent. I'll take that first. Yeah, absolutely. Care. No. So um, one thing we'll talk about at some point is some of the things we wish you would have known and wish you maybe not have known going yeah. into this. Um, so one of the things that we were taught later is that most brokers um, don't make any money for the first two years. Okay. <laughs> two years of business, you know, so oh. Sarah and I quit our corporate jobs with mm-hmm. corporate benefits uh-huh. to have zero income, you know, a hundred percent commission. One of our franchisees, a KFC franchisee, um, Sarah and I worked on transfers for him uh, while inside of KFC, called us within about three months of us quitting and starting our own uh, partnership together. And we listed 54 sell lease backs in one day. Oh, oh so my gosh. Put us on the map. Yeah. People were like, who are these two women from Louisville? <laughs> oh, my what gosh. They know about commercial brokerage. That's right. <laughs> so thanks to him. And then shortly after that, um, Sarah had a close KFC franchisee that signed up another 23. Yeah. Um, within about a month. So it was, it was, it was an eye awakening. We learned a ton. It was exciting. Um, But without our KFC partners, none of this would be possible. Right. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I can just see that. I can see that happening. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about SRS real estate partners, and then we'll get into some specific franchising questions I have to ask you to experts. So SRS was started in 1986, and today it's the largest commercial real estate firm in North America. They have more than 25 markets, including yours, Louisville. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about the company. So Roger Staubach actually stood for him. He didn't want to, you know be a football player his entire life. He saw a path. Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And before that, uh, the U.S. Navy also. I've seen his trophy at the Naval Academy. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) um, So that was more traditional brokerage, like landlord and tenant representation, but still, I I believe, focused on retail the entire time. And then in 2012, the partners that actually brought Morgan and I over to SRS started the investment sales group. So more of a, a net lease perspective, doing sale leasebacks and and really monetizing leases for landlords to do commercial brokerage in a different way within SRS. Oh, okay. Interesting. And so it was a great opportunity for you all because- yeah. SRS, they have several services, brokerage, corporate investment, development. What is your primary work? We do investment sales primarily. So we're, what I like to tell people, what I've told my family multiple times is we sell bonds in the form of real estate. All we're doing is monetizing credit on a lease. And the, and the cap rate that gets that, which you'll see mentioned a lot around real estate, that's really an imputed interest rate is a way to think about it. Oh, okay. So I'm going to ask you more about that in a few minutes so that you can unpack some of these very difficult financial words for us. 
<laughs> Happy to. Yeah. So that we we can understand a little bit more. Is most of your work with franchisees at this at this time? They're either it's either with franchisees or with ex-franchisees. Oh. So a lot of our clients uh, now that we've been here five years uh, doing this have um, actually decided to retire and exit operations. And now, um, you know, we had sold their, their real estate for them in the past and now they're buying other pieces of real estate, flipping back and forth, um, you know, trading, um, which we see happen quite frequently. And it's a way to acquire wealth is to continually lever up and continue to, um, you know, buy more pieces of land. But I would say about at least 90% of our clients would be franchisees at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. That makes a lot of sense. And so you mentioned that you do some M&A work, but let's focus on some of the four ways that you serve franchisees in particular or the franchise model. So we have new store development, site selection, lease negotiations, and value modeling. Can we talk about each one starting maybe with new store development? Sure, sure. We'll speak about one of our main clients. Sarah and I represent Texas Roadhouse here at Louisville corporately. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we do is we help them by setting up an investor that comes and will go ahead and buy what's called a ground lease. So in a ground lease situation, you don't actually purchase the building. And that way, Texas Roadhouse or one of our other clients would retain the building and therefore retain the depreciation on the building. So long story short, it's an easy way for our franchisees that want to continue to grow and continue to build instead of spending, I'm just going to use rough numbers, say $6 million to go out and build a brand new restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, purchase the land, do the site improvement costs to make the pad site you know, build ready. Um, it cuts the price about half because we have an investor set up there. So they're able to still maintain the depreciation, grow as they want, but not have to use up so much capital in order to do so every single time they go to grow. Oh, that makes sense. And Texas Roadhouse is on fire. They're doing great things. Yes. So yes, they're wonderful and they are excellent to work with as well. Yes. <laughs> I can imagine they've got that rich culture. They're fantastic. Yes, so they tell are. Us- very, very young-esque. <laughs> yes, very much so. Yeah. So with site selection, what type of services do you offer there? And, and like, what are the most important elements to consider with site selection? It honestly depends on the brand. Um, like, for example, Slim Chickens is an, an up and coming brand. They've been around for a while, but they're out of Arkansas. They want an A++ site, like hard corner at a light, tons of population, growing population, certain, uh, you know, wealth in the community. Yeah, exactly. Certain demographics. But then other brands are, I think, have a better maybe reputation in the community, like a Taco Bell. Taco Bell would love an A++ site, but they don't necessarily need it because people will find a Taco Bell. You're right. Yeah. We talk through with them a lot what they're looking for and then help them kind of hone it in from there. And then we're also excited to mention that SRS has been growing here in Louisville. Mm -hmm. And we've added um, Casey Smallwood actually joined us recently about six months ago. And he does a more traditional side of brokerage. So boots on the ground, um, regional. Sarah and I are national in our investment sales. Um, So we've done deals, of course, in Louisville and the state of Kentucky, but a lot of our deals vary throughout the country um, where Casey is going to be the one to go and drive um, and go and find this is where this KFC should be. This is where this Mm -hmm. Popeye should be, you know, whatever the case may be. So we also have that service that Sarah and I, it's not really our bread and butter. We're not, um, we're not developers. So, you know, we know to stay in our lane to an extent. So, Mm -hmm. so, but SRS does have that. And we offer here now in Louisville as well. Oh, that's wonderful. And you know, the advent of AI, artificial intelligence, has really made site selection even almost easier, if you will. I know I have my students use a 
a website called placer.ai that yep. provides just incredible we use information. That too. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. I'll have to tell them that. What about lease negotiations? So Casey does a lot of lease negotiations on behalf of the tenants going in. He represents tenants more than he represents landlords, but he can kind of do both sides. Mm-hmm. We've also done a transaction here uh, locally. Morgan actually did it where she helped a small and growing brand, Penny and Pearls, actually find their location across from Trinity. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, we just reading the lease and figuring out what's standard language and what's not mm-hmm. and, and how we can help the tenant. Uh, put something in place for the long term instead mm-hmm. of looking at sort of a, a short term horizon. Sure. And then I'll add on to that, Sarah, that additionally, since we have these relationships with a lot of franchisees in the event that we are representing a landlord that's yeah. a third party landlord, Sarah and I will leverage those relationships that we have with the tenants, aka the franchisees, and go and speak with them. You know, uh, the tenant really needs TI, they need tenant improvement money to build on to this, um, you know, QSR and to, mm-hmm. to, to make it up to the current asset model. Um, they're willing, if you give them $200,000, they're willing to extend the lease five years or, or something like that in order to make the lease more marketable for the landlord if they're looking to flip out. Sounds like you do a lot of negotiations. Yes. <laughs> I can see that. So what is value modeling? It's providing evaluation to the franchisee. So I, here's my real estate. What do you think it's worth subject to this lease? And and to Morgan's point, it suggests like if you could get some changes in place on the lease, it's more marketable. It could be worth more money. Also, as it relates to the operations, operations is sold on EBITDA multiples. So we look at that a lot too mm-hmm. um, and, and try to standardize the GNA that might be running through somebody's um, income statement to make it a more standard, I don't know, make it look more standard what the industry standard would be if a larger operator were to buy it. I understand that. So that I know that with EBITDA, which is basically an income type component. So with that, when you look at multiples, the multiples range across all the industries. Why is that? Um, they're going to depend on um, a couple things, especially in our in our world. We're talking about QSRs, even that, that's one industry, but they vary widely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll we'll go back to about two years ago in the heyday of M and A going on. Um, Taco Bell's because they are such a reputable, great, strong brand. They were going at a nine times multiple. I mean, wow. a very very high mm-hmm. number, and they're going to rank. So they're going to depend on the brand. And, um, you know, the growth potential and, you know, how the brand is doing in general, and then also on the size of how many restaurants are coming within the package. Mm-hmm. So if you have maybe a one store deal, you're looking more at like a three, a three X multiple. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are able to really come in, have enough room for area coaches and, you know, above store leadership, then your EBITDA multiple is going to increase rapidly. Gotcha. Oh, that's that's good to know. And I know that when you look at that, you need to pull the GNA out of the EBITDA before you start to make your valuation. Look right? at you. I know. Come work for us if you want. I know. Exactly. No, not not really. I know just enough to be dangerous, not much. You guys are the experts. <laughs> so since I have the experts on the line, there are a couple of financial items that always show up. And we always hear about it, people aren't sure what they are. So I'm hoping that you can unpack what these mean for us. Sure. First of all, Let's start though with the cap rate because you've mentioned that a couple of times. What is a cap rate and how do is that impacted by interest rates? In layman's terms, the cap rate reflects, honestly, the strength of the tenant. And it reflects the risk that's associated with the lease that we're trying to sell. Um, it's calculated and, and 
to sort of show our cards here a little bit, both Morgan and I, because we were coming uh, out as CPAs traditionally and not real estate agents, we both had a post-it note on our computers for about the first year we were doing this that had the equation to, to calculate a cap rate. True story. Yes, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but now we can do it. It is yeah. the, the net income divided by the purchase price equals the cap rate, which is a percentage. So it's a rate of return. Right. It's the rate of return on, on the lease. And that is impacted by interest rates, correct? Absolutely. They they generally move together. They are correlated. But because things have been so bizarre for the past couple of years, they're not moving as quickly as the interest rates are currently moving because seller expectations have not changed as rapidly as buyer expectations have changed. Correct. So to really put it in my terms, very layman terms, do you want the cap rate to be high? Is that the goal here? <laughs> if, you, if you're a buyer, you want the cap rate to be high. Yes, and if you're true. a seller, you want the cap rate to be low. It moves inversely with price. Yes. So the Wonderful. lower the cap rate, the higher the price. Yes. Wonderful. That's good to know. And what is a sale lease back? Because I've heard pros and cons about it. Oh, we're going to give you a lot of pros about it. Yes. <laughs> Given that that's our bread and butter. Yes. Yes. Um, it's when an operator of a restaurant owns their real estate. And they decide to sell their real estate, but continue to operate. So we write or we help them write or their lawyers write a lease from scratch that when we do a sale lease back, when we're helping an operator do that, we make it very tenant friendly because their intent is usually to operate the restaurant for the long term. So you want the lease rate to be sustainable and the terms in there to be fairly tenant friendly. But they then sell the real estate and they continue to operate the business. So they sold it and then they're leasing, leasing it back so they yes. can operate their brand inside that building. So that provides them with capital if they want to expand or invest or whatever, correct? Yes. yes. And that is what the majority of the very large franchisees do. But anybody that's associated with a PE group, the very large operators associated with private equity are usually doing sale leasebacks. They, they're they not in the business of holding real estate. Mm -hmm. They're in the business of operating restaurants. So if I understand this correctly, say I owned 10 KFCs, I could actually sell my property to someone else, not myself, but to someone else. Yes. And then just lease it. So I would have that capital that then would allow me to expand and buy more. Correct. Or or remodel or, right. you know, even like rebuilds, anything, anything with a franchise agreement. Um, you know, think about even like back of house things that, you know, need to be done. So correct. remodels. Yes, yes. Remodels. And especially right now, as interest rates have been climbing and climbing and climbing, it's a way for franchisees to continue to grow, um, you know, meet their development requirements and not have to take on more debt, especially when, you know, the debt's getting up to 7%. Yeah. Um, and yeah. this way they can take out the real estate and continue to grow. And we've seen that the majority of our clients are doing that. We don't have people that are just selling real estate and, and taking the cash. They're, gotcha. they're selling the real estate and reinvesting in themselves and their brands. Now, there are some large franchisors who actually own the real estate and lease to their franchisees. That's correct. Chick-fil-A is one of those, um, yes. but they do also work with developers. So you can occasionally find some Chick-fil-A leases out there. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Thank you. What about this thing called financial covenants? What is that? Um, so associated with both loans and leases, mm -hmm. landlords and banks want to see you maintain certain percentages, you know, certain debt ratios. They want to review your financial liquidity. statements and liquidity on a regular basis. 
just to make sure that you are operating for the long term. Yeah. I got you. So it just means that you're maintaining certain standards financially that yes. make you that help you thrive and, and be successful. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's an easy way of saying it. Thank you. Well yes. yes. Thank you. <laughs> so buy versus lease. What do you think is best? <laughs> well, buy and then lease. There you it, go. It sort of depends on the situation yes. and what your what your ultimate goals are. Uh, again, a lot of the large franchisees, a lot of the large operators don't want to hold their real estate. But when they're adding on other packages, when they're buying out other operators, they really like to buy the real estate along with the operations and then turn around and sell that real estate. And, and a lot of times with the stronger large franchisee credit on that that brand new lease that they would write associated with that, they can pay for the vast majority of that purchase of operations and real estate together. Mm-hmm. The The value is in the real estate. You know, it's a good way for, for people to have easy access to capital. Yeah, exactly. You have really made that very clear. I appreciate that, both of you, because that is something that I think most folks don't think about, especially in this franchising world. We always think about operations and how can we drive top line sales, but there are other ways to get capital. Yep. Few more questions asking some other advice. Okay. So what do you think most successful franchisees do in terms of their properties? Again, it, it sort of depends on on your goals. The the large ones don't intend to buy real estate and hold for the most part, but there were some larger legacy franchisees across lots of systems that that held on to their real estate um, for generational planning. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you said that because I've known of a few who have recently moved on from different brands, but they did hold on to that real estate and it's that served them well. But I think that was the thinking, and this was, I'm thinking of a third generation franchisee who I knew, but I think that was the thinking years ago that buy the dirt, hold on to it, pay it off and keep it. And I think the ideas have changed now or what's best for the business has changed into the sale lease back type of proposal. Sure. I mean, we have a lot of clients that talk to us about that. And, you know, they say to us that the point of them holding their real estate is for the state planning for their kids so that their kids will have a, we in the business, you know, call mailbox money, that they will be able to continuously get that check from the tenant as long as there's a strong tenant in there. Um, So we do see that frequently still. It is a little bit more of a generational thought. Um, You know, the thought now is more so to continuously trading up to continuously get better real estate, get more real estate. It's almost like people that go out and buy rental homes. You very rarely buy one rental property. You want to continue to grow and grow and grow. And now we see investors doing the same as well. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of times you're just holding um, in perpetuity one parcel of land. And especially as trade demographics move. Yeah. Right. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Can you give us an example of one of your very best deals? Um, all right, Sarah, take this away. Sure. Uh, within the first year of us starting with SRS, we had a friend call us, um, a franchisee, and they wanted to sell out of their, their operations in real estate. And they already had a transaction in place there. So we did not advise on that at all. But they wanted to take their dollars associated with the real estate and turn around with us and, and buy, do what's called a 1031 exchange to defer taxes. Gotcha. So we helped them buy. Uh, how much was it? Like $20 million worth of property? $23 million oh worth gosh. of property. And three of those pieces of property were three Taco Bells from wow. in a single transaction. We did that. Um, and they happen to be in the state of Florida, which we all know Florida is growing like wildfire yes. right now. And 
And I'll interject that that deal closed on my birthday. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's oh, true. that's awesome. Yes, Happy birthday to you. <laughs> um, so we felt pretty amazing. Yeah. But now as value really increased in the state of Florida, even with the years ticked off on the lease, so fewer years remaining on the leases, we've been able to, for that client, sell those sell those properties for more money than they purchased them for. Oh and then and then they're using those funds to to you know do other things, pay off debt, buy different properties. Yeah. So we we we've seen both sides of the of the taco, which is a fun story to tell when you're on the sell side. Like I helped buy this. I know the story here. Yes. Oh, that's great. You're going to see more and more of that as you all progress. You can yeah. count on that. So when I look at what you've done, Morgan and Sarah, it's just amazing. I mean, the journey you've had since you left Yum in five years, what you all have accomplished. What are you most proud of, both of you? I am very, very proud of going into business with my best friend. Sarah and I say that we're very proud that we've had zero fights. Like wow. Zero. <laughs> in yeah, five and, years. And we, we <laughs> room together still. We drive together. We fly together. We work together every day. You know, we say it's our best marriage we've ever had. <laughs> it's not paper. Yeah, we have papered it. Um, but and, and then and more importantly, even than that, is that the that we both took the risk to bet on ourselves. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier. You know, leaving great pay, uh, great benefits, a great company full of wonderful people, in order to bet just on ourselves, and and it was scary. And I'm pretty sure that our families thought we were insane. Um, <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> but you know, looking back now, um, it's it's a bet that we obviously we won. So um, we're very, very pleased and very, very proud of what we've been able to accomplish together. I like that Morgan's mom still asks her on a regular basis if she's still a CPA. <laughs> <laughs> I still am. <laughs> That's awesome. How about you, Sarah? Um, I, I mean, the same. I'm so proud of what we've accomplished and and. Uh, you know, we just, it, it's really, it's amazing. It, and and I get to do it with my best friend every day. Yeah. And it's so nice to have somebody to not only lament with on the terrible days, but to celebrate with on the, on the good days too. Exactly. I can see that. And, you know, so often, so often women aren't willing to take that risk. Cause like you said, Yam is a great company to work for with yeah. all the things, right. And to walk away from that and say, we're going to bet on ourselves. I mean, my hat's off to you. Congratulations. Thank you. That is just, that is incredible. So my last question for both of you to answer is, is there anything that you wish you had known before you started this franchising journey, especially being on the partner side? So um, being an accountant (laughs) and, you know, like a a tax accountant at that for Pete's sakes, (laughs) I always thought I cannot sell things. That's why I'm in accounting. I'm not in marketing. I can't. I couldn't sell ice in hell, um, but, but it turns out all you have to do is speak intelligently and with confidence about something and you absolutely can sell things. Yeah. Oh, we spend I love a lot that. Time, yeah. We spend a lot of time going to um, conferences. Um, you know, we go to the KFC conferences, Taco Bells. We've been to Burger Kings. We've, you name it. We've, we've gone up to Wendy's. We've been to Hardee's, um, Hardee's and you know, Carl's Jr. But um the, a big part of our job is sitting there on the trade show floor, which Sarah and I had never done that before. Uh, you know, we're like, how do we get people to come talk to us? And we've learned over the years some different tricks and uh, mm-hmm. and stuff. But uh, but Sarah is phenomenal. Oh, um, thank you. At the trade you show, you are too. Thank you. <laughs> but it, it's a way for us to really gain business. You know, we're not. Um, we we've learned that lots of folks that are in our business do lots of cold calling um, on a daily basis, and that's just not how we want to gain business. 
Um, so we spend a lot of time away from our families traveling um, in order to meet folks face to face and show how much we care. Because that's something I think that differentiates yeah. Sarah and I from a lot of sell leaseback brokers is that, you know, we genuinely want the best for our clients and genuinely want them to succeed and continue to grow. Yeah. Um, so for us, that's a hard thing to say on the phone when you, you know, <laughs> hey, right. Morgan, don't hang up. Like, <laughs> I swear I care. Don't hang up. You know, so um, I think for us, it, you know, it's a big part of it. And and Sarah always says that she didn't think she could do it. And let me tell you, she does it just fine. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Well, as I always say, franchising is all about relationships and you all are proving that and having those relationships by going to those conferences makes a difference. Well, I wish nothing but continued success for the two of you. It's so exciting to see what you've done. And in five years, I, it'll just be amazing. You'll have a bigger office, have done more. I can just see it. So thank you so much for joining <laughs> us and sharing your knowledge. Of course. And thank you very much for the opportunity, Kathy. You, and, Kathy. you know, if anyone listening to this podcast or um, any of your students have any follow-up questions, please share our contact information. Sarah and I are very happy to meet with and to speak with anybody about what we're doing and share our story. Yeah. We'll take you up on that. Take care. Okay. <laughs> Franchise U is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu slash yumcgfe. Thank you for listening to Franchise U.